Today, we talk with Greg of Revolution Recap and discuss how the New England Revolution season is going, if they can win MLS Cup, and what is going on off the field with the Revolution. Before we get to that, if you enjoy the show, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps us grow. Give us a follow on whatever podcasting platform you listen to us on and follow us at Final Third Show on either Twitter and Instagram. Those links will be in the show notes below. All right, enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to the Final Third Podcast. It's Thursday, so that means it's our deep dive episode. But we have a little bit of a a different situation going on. Jack is, once again, still on vacation in Colorado, climbing mountains and probably hanging out with like Kellen Acosta and Sam Vines or something. So we are here actually with a guest who's going to talk about the New England Revolution with us. It's Greg of the Revolution Recap, the best New England Revolution podcast, uh, at least in my mind. Greg, how are you doing on this wonderful Tuesday evening? I'm doing great. I'm not climbing mountains. That sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds exhausting. So I think all things considered, uh, I'm I'm best suited here talking with you about the revolution. But thank you for having me on. I'm very excited to anytime I get to talk about the New England Revolution. uh, It's very exciting. So thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for coming on. I'm also really excited to talk about the New England Revolution, partially because I'm kind of happy with where they're standing right now. I had when we did our uh, MLS preview, New England Revolution as my dark horse candidate to win MLS Cup. And I had Matt Turner as my Golden Glove prediction. So I'm feeling pretty happy with those two uh, predictions. But uh, regardless of how that turns out, still excited to talk about the Revs. But we have some warm up questions, Greg, for you today because we like to give our guests an opportunity to talk about themselves a little bit. So the, our listeners have a chance to learn about our guests and their background in soccer and the teams that they cover. So Greg, are you ready for the final thirds warm up round? I was born ready. All right. I'm so happy to hear that. The first question, kind of a softball question. What just is your history with soccer and the revs in general? How did you get into supporting the new england revolution well that's all uh that that's all the fault of my co-host sean donahue who is not with me today sean actually started revolution recap as a radio show uh in northern rhode island in 2005 back in the mls 1.0 days yeah Uh, so he he predates me a a long long time Uh, i met sean in college and uh, you know, around the the turn of the decade. Uh, and Sean essentially got me into soccer a little bit at the time. I started following the Premier League. I, I followed the World Cup in 2010. Uh, I started following Arsenal. That was the team I picked. Thankfully, I've stopped yeah. following them and supporting <laughs> them as a team. I haven't watched them in years. Uh, and I've focused fully on MLS and the New England Revolution. Uh, so anyway, Sean gets me into the revs. Um, Sean's radio show, he, he kind of transitions that into kind of print. He started a website called New England Soccer Today with another writer, Brian O'Connell. Um, and I joined them as a contributor uh, and then did that for a few years. We were there for the 2014 MLS Cup run with Jermaine Jones. Nice. Yeah. Uh, 
a lot of fun times, but it took too much time and we decided to transition back into a podcast. So Sean and I brought back Revolution Recap a few years ago in 2018, just at the beginning of the Brad Friedel era, which was mm-hmm. very, very stressful uh, <laughs> experiment that did not work out for the New England Revolution. Uh, and so this is our fourth year in podcast form, at least, of doing uh, Revolution Recap. And that's basically my history of the show and how I got involved with it. Awesome. That's great to hear. I, I love your guys' podcast. I actually listened to a couple of episodes when I was trying to learn a little bit more about the revs during our preseason uh, previews, I suppose. Uh, second question, this also related to the revs. Who is your all-time favorite New England Revolution player? Could be former, could be active, could be from the 90s, whenever. That's a very deep cut. I mean, I'm going to have to say Matt Turner. I know there's a lot of recency bias with that question, but we have kind of a running joke that we're a pro Matt Turner podcast and it all kind of starts because Matt Turner, I don't know if you you know this, but he was an undrafted goalkeeper coming Mm -hmm. out of Fairfield university. No one had really ever heard of him. He was not a prospect by any means. He was loaned down to USL one year. Um, But for two consecutive years, he kind of made, the roster cuts at the end of the season and no one knew why. And so I kind of said, well, he must be good if he keeps surviving these cuts. Uh, and now that was just the call of the century. Uh, Matt Turner on the cusp of going to the gold cup this summer. Yeah. Uh, he's in the United States uh, national team picture. So uh, I'll, I'll have to say Matt Turner, cause we go way back uh, and I'm a bit of a Matt Turner hipster that I believed in him even before uh, anyone knew who he was. So, uh, and also he's just an incredible goalkeeper. So uh, I'm, I'm going to give my vote to uh, Matt Turner. All right, Matt Turner. Obviously, one of the the better, if not the best, MLS goalkeepers currently. I had him as my my Golden Glove prediction, and not only that, but Jack and I are also very pro Matt Turner. I remember we were recording during the January camp games where he saved a penalty, and we actually had to pause recording because we were celebrating that so much because we just we just love matt turner and all he does so i i really hope we we get to talk about him in a, a later question in this episode but the third question and feel free to take your time because I, I don't know if this is going to be an easy or hard question it's a would you rather question would you rather the new england revolution win an mls cup in the next five years or plan build and move into a downtown Boston soccer specific stadium in the next five years. So stadium or MLS cup in the next five years. Well, this is going to get me in trouble because I don't think I speak for the fan base when it comes to it, but I would take the MLS cup. Uh, and and okay. I, I, part of that is because I don't live in the city of Boston anymore. Sure. So it would not impact me that much. Uh, I also think too, that it's been 25 years in the revolution. have had this, you know, curse history of being to the finals so many times and losing so much. Um, I, I also think that in the Boston sports media landscape, the revolution really struggled to get a foothold. Um, They aren't really taken that seriously by the old legacy media. That's part of the reason why we do our podcast. It's because we feel Mm -hmm. like there needs to be more talk about the new England revolution. uh, And there isn't a lot of discussion about it. And so, um, you know, what motivates us is to make sure that, you know, we're, we're not very big, by, by any measure, of course, but, um, you know, we, we have some supporters that really appreciate week in and week out listening. And there was another podcast that recently stopped. Uh, and so, and just seeing the kind of support that they have and encouragement to come back kind of encourages us to keep going and show that there isn't a lot of media attention. So because of the lack of media attention, I think a championship would go a lot further 
maybe not a lot further than a stadium, but it would certainly get them get some more attention around them. We saw a little bit more media attention around the revolution last year. Um, and I think mm-hmm. a championship would bring some more media attention to the revolution too. So a downtown stadium would be great. It would end a lot of those uh, jokes that I know everyone else around the country likes yeah. to make about the new England revolution. Uh, but overall, I, I think a championship banner would be really, really nice in my opinion. All right. Well, that was our warm up around. I'm got a lot of great answers out of you. I'm, I'm really happy to, learn more about your history with the New England Revolution and see that an MLS Cup would do a a lot of good for the fan base. I definitely agree with that. And we're going to talk about MLS Cup and New England Revolution possibly winning it this year, maybe uh, later on in the show. But let's get on with just the discussion in general. Let's start out with obviously the biggest question. The Revs have been doing pretty good this year. They're top of the East with 23 points, joint second in the Supporters' Shield race. So how have the Revolution done compared to preseason expectations? Have they met or even exceeded expectations uh, set by the fan base? Yeah, I think for the fan base, that that's a very big distinction because I think you called yeah. them a dark horse at the beginning of the season. A lot of people didn't have the revolution on their radar. I think if you looked at the odds makers, the revolution were kind of middle of the pack. I think they were 25 to one at the start of the season. I think last time I checked, they're up to six or eight to one or something like that. Um, so we're kind of exceeding the external expectations and kind of the nationwide country, uh, uh, the country's expectations. But the fan base was really expecting this to be a big year. So I think they're meeting current expectations. Um, a little background is, is that the revolution had three designated players going into the season last year, Carles, Hill, Gustavo Bo, and then they signed Adam Buxa, uh, a striker up top. Um, and it was expected that 2020 was going to be our year. And Carles right. Hill, Carles Hill had an Achilles injury and COVID kind of derailed everything. It, it wasn't the best season. Uh, we kind of limped in the playoffs, but then we had this great run that led us to the Eastern conference final against Columbus we lose one, nothing, but it kind of showed that when we do get our three designated players and Carl Isiel, who who came back late in the season, when we have all three designated players, uh, they, they can compete with anyone. And so we kind of had these expectations that we had been putting off for about a year into this season. Uh, and as of right now, they're, they're really kind of showing everyone that they are living up to the hype. Uh, they are living up to, um, you know, you know, what we thought could happen once we had all all of these players on the field at the same time. Uh, and we've had some players that have kind of emerged like uh, Tejan Buchanan, uh, who right. is being yeah. scouted in Europe, apparently, um, you know, he's really come out of his shell in the past year or so. So going into the season, I don't want to say it was MLS cup or bust, but we certainly want expected them to be contenders and be fighting up at the top of the Eastern conference standings. And going off that, do you think given the current form, given what you've seen from the team so far, do you think that, come the end of the season, you will be at that point. You will be meeting expectations at that conference final level, at that potentially title contender level. Do you think like this run of form that New England has hit is sustainable throughout the entire season? Well, you're catching us uh, off a loss to Dallas right now. Yes, and that's why I brought it up, yeah. (laughs) But no, overall, they have really impressed um, and the one, I think they're a piece or two away. There are some red flags. I, I think that the, the back line could potentially use another defender, but 
another, another concern is that Carlos Hill is kind of running the entire offense. He's basically the point guard for the offense. There's mm-hmm. a little bit of concern that if he has another injury, that's our season right there. Um, but overall, the offense is playing great. They're creating chances game after game. Uh, they just beat New York City FC on the road last week, which was an right. impressive win. Um, there hasn't really been many games where they haven't been in it or haven't fought in it. I know we're coming off of a loss to Dallas, which looks pretty ugly on paper, but um, you know, I, I think in a playoff format with one game a week, if our team is healthy, they could absolutely win MLS cup. All right, cool, cool. Well, let's go into some of the the players, uh, some of the players that you even mentioned, starting off with the, the positive side of things, I guess. What have what, which players have been the key pieces so far that have been the, the, the do or die players? If you lose them, you are asking questions about how this team can survive. You mentioned Carlos Heal. Uh, are there any other players other than him that you would also single out as potentially a key player? Uh, well, Matt Turner, we talked about Matt Turner a little bit before, um, you know, one of the best goalkeepers in MLS, if not the best. Um, it's kind of a sore subject here in the Northeast because everyone nationwide, Andre Blake gets all the attention. He won goalkeeper yeah. of the year. He was an MVP candidate last year. Uh, and a lot of Revs fans feel that Matt Turner is on equal footing with Andre Blake. So that's kind of our local regional goalkeeper rivalry. Um, but Matt Turner seems to get better year over year. Um, if you look at expected goal stats, Matt Turner is blowing everyone else in the league out of the water. So Matt Turner, number one is such a key player. And, and as I say, that defense, sometimes there are some games like in this Dallas game where uh, it, it had moments where it imploded and kind of broke down And Matt Turner. A lot of the times covers for this team. If you look at highlights from the New York city FC game, there's five, six saves that are just unbelievable. He made a penalty kick save and that was probably his third most impressive save on the night. Uh, he won uh, the player of the week honors uh, in MLS a couple weeks ago. So Matt Turner is number one on the list. And we're going to have to learn uh, how good we are without him because he's going off to the gold cup soon, allegedly reportedly uh, that came out tonight. Uh, beyond that, I would say Gustavo Bo is another player you should be keeping an eye on. He leads the team in goals with five. Um, he's playing as our lone striker this season. Um, and he, he, is very dangerous as he can score from anywhere. Uh, Bruce Arena and the team is trying to get him more shots closer to goal. They're trying to prevent him from shooting from uh, the ozone uh, and, you know, taking shots from 25, 30 yards out, but he can still score from there. Uh, and he had a really, really nice goal against New York City uh, FC a few weeks ago. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, uh, Tejon Buchanan, who is being scouted by uh, a number of Europeans teams. We've heard Sporting Lisbon, uh, we've heard Juventus. Um, He's uh, getting some looks from the Canadian national team right now. Um, he's a, he's a winger. He's very dangerous in the final third. He draws a ton of fouls one-on-one. Um, he's very good at finishing. Uh, he's been a diamond in the rough. He was someone we picked up in the super draft a few years ago. So nice. um, yeah, those are our three players outside of Carlos Hill, who in himself is an MVP candidate. Um, he's got 10 assists through 11 games. Um, I, I, for the listeners that do not know, I mean, Carlos Hill is a legitimate MVP candidate so far this season. Uh, and he, as I say, he gets 90 to a hundred touches a game. Um, and, and he doesn't really have a position. He's not a central attacking midfielder. He starts in the central. He's not a winger, but he's not a 10. He's more of a point guard. He kind of roams the revs, mm-hmm. give him the ball uh, and he's able to find someone in the box wide open. So uh, it's a lot of fun to watch Carlos. He'll play too. Yeah. I was actually just going to ask that because obviously when you talk about the revolution, you have to talk about heel. I mean, he's, and I'm sure you've heard these stats ad nauseum at this point. He's top of MLS for assists. 
accurate dribbles per match, key passes per match, and big chances created. You mentioned he's an MVP candidate. In your eyes, I know you might be a little biased. Is he the front runner for the MVP race at this point? I mean, I am biased, so I will say yes. I mean, I'll put it this way too. He is by far the best playmaker in MLS. I don't think there's an argument there. If if I were to bet on him to win MVP, I'd be a little bit more concerned because normally that award goes to people who score goals. Um, and I know Rayo Diaz is doing very well in Seattle. Um, I know Nani is doing very well in Orlando. If he stays healthy, he's a big name that I could see drawing votes away. But um, in, in terms of playmaking ability, there's no one that's in Kai's heels um, uh, category right now. He's, he's just doing extremely well. So I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say he's the MVP of the 2021 season so far. And another stat too that we're, we're paying attention to that came up this week is Carlos Hill had five assists over two games uh, and three assists in the game against uh, uh, New York Red Bulls. Right. Um, a stat that I pulled up is I pulled up what the MLS single season record for assists is, and it's 26 uh, from Carlos Valderrama in, wow. in 2000 with Tampa Bay Mutiny. Um, and he's at 10 right now uh, through 11 games. Um, only three players have ever had 20 assists in a season. Uh, and Carlos Hill is halfway there with an overwhelming majority of the season left. We got about two thirds of the season left. So um, we, a few of us have started Carlos Hill uh, breaking that assist record watch. Uh, yeah. And so if he, if he gets there and, and he could easily do it, if he stays healthy, they have a lot of offensive firepower to finish chances. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would not be shocked if we see a 23, 24, 25 assist season from Carlos Hill. And I think if he gets to that level, he's going to win the MVP. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Would you say that he is the X factor for this team or would you put that more on, I don't know, Bruce arena and his tactics or just how the attack is playing in general, like which area of the team can you really point at as being the out and out reason why you are in the position that you are? Yeah, it's really hard. Carlos heel. Um, and not to, not to drive this point further, but if you just look at the results we got from the the 2020 season without him, they really struggled to create chances. They traded for Glee win and they brought him in um, and they, they played fine, but there was a lot of zero, zero draws, one, one draws, two, one games, one, one, zero games. There weren't a lot of games where you had a lot of faith offense was going to create chances. If, you know, if that team got down by two goals, you didn't expect them to come back. Whereas this team, they're never really out of it because you think they can score on a dime and they can be in complete control of a game. So um, Carlos Hill really is the engine of the revolution team. Um, again, not to, it's boring answer. Cause I know I just spent <laughs> talking about him, but it really can't be overstated how important Carlos Hill is to this soccer team. He, he really is just everything, right. You know, everything right from the revolution comes from him pretty much. You alluded to this a little bit earlier about that back line. And so my next question is all about the areas of concern with this team. Uh, when I was doing the the preview for the New England Revolution earlier in the spring, I highlighted center back depth as one of the main areas of concern uh, in my eyes. Would you say that the defense with the back line, uh, maybe the the lack of center back options, if if I can go that far, is the thing that's holding back this team from really going into MLS dominance? 
Yeah, I think that's a very fair statement. I think a lot of fans would agree with you on that. It's interesting because coming into this season, I said the same thing about center back depth. And I said, you know, we have Henry Kessler. It's just a matter of who are you going to pair with him? We have Andrew Farrell, who's been on the team for Mm -hmm. the better part of a decade. He actually just made his 250th appearance last week. Um, So he's a long serving player with the Rebs. Uh, He's been very good for very long, but you know, he's a converted right back. And there were some questions about him coming into the season, if he was the best pairing for Henry Kessler, if we needed someone a little bit better. Um, well, it turns out that Henry Kessler has actually been replaced. The one sure bet in that center back pairing that we thought was, uh, you know, not really within question. Henry Kessler has kind of made his way to the bench. Um, and we have John Bell, who was with Revs 2, New England Revs 2. Um, they signed him from the reserve squad last season. He's a converted left back. He's been playing a lot of center back this season. Um, and he, he has been doing fine. He's been doing well. Um, and he had a, a bit of a poor game in Dallas. And so this has kind of brought up the question again of, what exactly is the best center back pairing between John Bell and Henry Kessler and Andrew Farrell? And, you know, who's the starter and who's the sure bet. And um, there's a lot of questions there. And coming into the season, we thought we had maybe one center back spot to improve. Uh, And now it seems like both center back spots might be improved. Uh, It's a bit confusing because everyone really liked Henry Kessler and thought that Kessler was uh, kind of the rock of that defense. And it seems like Bruce arena is trending away from him uh, at the moment. So yeah, center back depth is a bit of a question because right now we have three center backs that kind of rotate in and out, but they haven't found the correct pairing uh, to solidify that back line. And then at the outside backs too um, is a bit of a question mark. We have Brendan by who's played, I think every game at right back and Dewan Jones at left back. Uh, and both are playing fine, but beyond that is a big question mark. Uh, the revolution brought in a left back, Christian Mafla coming into the season and fans, found out before he even signed before the signing was announced that his nickname, uh, I believe he played in Columbia. His, his nickname in Columbia was glass legs because he oh, was injured no. all the time. No. And and he has been injured all season. I think he's played about 50 minutes. Uh, and Brandon by, we have AJ De La Garza on the bench right now. I think he's the backup right back, but there really isn't a lot of rotation there. So the outside backs have been playing game in and game out with a, not a lot of rotation. Uh, and so if there's an injury at outside back, there's going to be some shuffling around in the lineup and there's going to be some question marks there as well. So it doesn't look that bad on, on paper. The outside backs seem to be playing well right now, but uh, beyond them is a big question mark. They've conceded six goals in the last three matches, that back line two game, uh, two goals in each game. What do you think needs to be done in order to fix that? Do they have to, keep on experimenting with uh, different pairings on the back line, or is this a case of we need another player who is a step above uh, the rest of the back line to come in either uh, a summer signing, like a Tam signing, like what needs to happen in order to uh, fix that back line, which is uh, at this moment of time leaking goals. If you can go that far. Yeah, no, I mean, in my opinion, I think the first step internally that the Revs could do is move Henry Kessler back into the lineup. Okay. Henry Kessler was getting some looks at the U23, the Olympic trials for the United mm-hmm. States. He was in the United States men's national team pool. There have been some rumors that he's also interested in maybe playing for Ireland. So he's he's getting some international interest. Um, but for whatever reason, he's moved to the bench. Bruce Arena has justified it as saying he wants to develop a third center back, that there's a lot of schedule congestion. Um, but John Bell is playing playing overwhelmingly more than Henry Kessler and Andrew Farrell has played every single game. And so it it seems like he is fading Henry Kessler out of the lineup. Um, That seems like a a bit of an odd move. I don't know if they're hiding an injury or not, but Henry Kessler was phenomenal in his rookie season. Um, And, and I think 
you know, it, it's not very hard. Just move him back into the lineup and go from there. Uh, and I do think that another center back, uh, not necessarily to replace Andrew Farrell, but getting another center back in the mix uh, would be extremely helpful. Um, one issue with the center back, the, or sorry, not even the center back pairing, but the back line is that Dewan Jones, Brandon by the outside backs, and then John Bell and Henry Kessler um, kind of in that left center back spot. All those players have been in the league for three or four years or less. They're all 25 or younger. So it's a very youthful back line They're They've all come out of college, uh, all out mm-hmm. of the super draft. Um, and Andrew Farrell is kind of that veteran presence on the back line. So I don't think Bruce wants to pull him because that might disrupt the organization of that back line there. So I think bringing another center back either to pair with Andrew Farrell into, or to replace him would be good. And particularly a veteran uh, who can kind of help solidify and improve that communication on that back line. All right. Are there any names that Bruce Arena is looking at to bring in, not just on the back line, but for the the team in general? Are there any signings that fans can look forward to uh, crossing the line anytime soon? I, 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 you know what? If I knew that'd be a, that's above my pay grade. If I knew, I'd, <laughs> uh, I'd have a lot more followers on uh, on my podcast. Um, no, Bruce has been very mum on his plans for the transfer window, but just knowing Bruce arena and knowing what we saw last year, he's going to be very active and he's going to look for ways to improve the team. Uh, he, he does not give away any state secrets, but I think the transfer window opens on July 7th, which is about a week away. I wouldn't be shocked to see a move made uh, in the middle of July. Um, he just moves fast. And especially within MLS, he, he's very active in making trades throughout the league. So my, my guess is we're going to see a center back come in. I mean, I I'm guessing here totally guessing here but um i was looking at teams that are kind of towards the bottom of the standings and toronto fc is having a bit of a disaster of a season mm-hmm. and i know they have a center back up there omar gonzalez who has a history with bruce arena so i don't know if bruce arena is bringing in one of his guys again that might be a connection to look out for uh, again that's complete speculation on me but i could see him making a move like that where he brings in a name that people are familiar with that's a veteran presence that could help that back line right away um, that's what I would kind of expect to see Bruce arena do, but, um, do I know what Bruce arena is going to do or what positions he's going to strengthen? Unfortunately, I do not know that. Yeah. I mean, going for a veteran presence would be a pretty Bruce arena move. You, you can count on him uh, to do that as well as getting some super draft picks. So the way that the revs are built right now, it, it really does seem like a, a Bruce arena tailored team. And speaking of a Bruce arena and the rest of this team, what would you say is the ceiling for this team? You kind of talked about expectations throughout this entire season. They've tried five times in the past, lost all those times. So can they actually win the MLS Cup this go around? Like how are the fans viewing their chances at winning MLS Cup? I think they're, again, you're, you're catching us on a week that we just lost to Dallas. Right, right. <laughs> so I think right now there is the sentiment that we are a piece or two away from being an MLS Cup winning team. Uh, and that kind of starts with the back line, um, as we kind of talked about. There is also a little bit concerned about the central midfield. Um, the revolution signed a central midfielder, Wilfred Captum, uh, who played with Barcelona. He played in Spain. Um he has not really seen the field that much. He's struggled with injuries throughout this season. I think he's played about 50 or 60 minutes um, and has been on the shelf for the remainder of the year. Um, in the central midfield, we have Matt Polster, who we signed from Rangers last year, former Chicago fire player. He's done wonderfully for the revolution, but that's another thing. His 
whoever he's pairing with, it's kind of a rotation right now. We've seen Tommy McNamara, another MLS journeyman, kind of rotate in and out, and he's done pretty well in the minutes he's seen. But I don't think he is someone that a lot of fans are confident in as a starter game in and game out. Uh, we have another Revs 2 signing from the offseason, uh, Maciel, who was very hyped up. I think he's only 21 years old. Uh, so he's a bit of a prospect for the revolution. We've seen him come in and out of the lineup. So I, I think the sentiment right now is that we want to see another defender and we might want to see another central midfielder if Captoom doesn't come back and uh, fully healthy because there seems to be, I don't want to necessarily call it a hole in the central midfield, um, but just kind of shoring up uh, and adding another central midfielder to kind of pair with Matt Polster, I think would really uh, help out this team overall. Yeah. And do you think at that point, we can begin to call Revs almost the favorite to win MLS Cup if they shore up those holes that they have? Maybe not the favorite because Seattle is doing pretty well this year. Right. Um, and I also am a little concerned about Orlando and the Daryl DK situation um, <laughs> just because uh, Nani having the season he's having and Daryl DK uh, coming back from Barnsley, um, you know, that's a very, very strong team. So, I, I you know, that's a team that kind of gives me a few nightmares here and there that I don't want to see them on their best day in the playoffs, but yeah, I would call them one of the favorites. Um, I would absolutely say that if the revolution have, they kind of cure their defensive woes, whether it's internally uh, or whether they go out and get someone. And if they add another central midfielder who kind of be another weapon with Carlos Hill in the central of the field, um, I, I don't see why the revolution couldn't win MLS cup. All right. Looking at the table, new England are currently joint second with, Sporting Kansas City uh, as second place in the, the Supporters' Shield race. Uh, they are three points behind the Sounders, which you mentioned before. Do you think that New England can possibly make a run for the Supporters' Shield if they can uh, overtake Seattle eventually down, down the line in the season and win uh, the Supporters' Shield as a bonus for qualifying for the playoffs as well? Yeah, you know, I think we actually, if we had beaten Dallas, we would have been in first place. I believe we, we would have overtaken uh, Seattle momentarily in the Supporter Shield uh, standings. I, I believe that's correct. You're not a yeah. yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think so. It'll really bring the depth into question, but Bruce Arena has made two or three subs every single game for the, the past uh, few games, and it really hasn't bit them too much. So I, I absolutely could see them making a run for first place in the table overall. I, I think that I'm a little bit hesitant to say that because as I say, we're a Carlos heel injury away from disaster and falling down pretty quickly. So I don't want to, that I'm a little bit more concerned because if Carlos heel is out four or five games, if he's out a month um, or if he's just kind of sitting out for regular rest, uh, we might see a step back from the revolution. Um, but yeah, I mean, similar to the MLS cup, if we, kind of solidify our weaknesses, which aren't even huge weaknesses on this team. Um, I absolutely could see a situation where the revolution end up winning the supporter shield. Yeah. And not just losing Carlos Hill, but as you mentioned, you are losing Matt Turner for at least a, a couple weeks there during uh, the gold cup. Are you guys at all losing any other players due to uh, gold cup call-ups? Is there going to be even more of a test for that depth that you have? Uh, I'd have to look into it. I don't think so. I know a revolution, two players being called up to the Haiti team, but I don't think anyone on the senior roster okay. is getting called up. Um, I'd have to look up uh, about, uh, Tejan Buchanan, uh, with Canada, but I'm not sure where that stands. All right, cool. Well, 
That is the on the field performance for the Revs. I did want to talk about some off the field revolution news. The first, well, I don't know if you can call it news, but obviously one of the first things that people notice when they watch the New England Revolution play is the fact that they play in an NFL stadium in Foxborough, in Massachusetts, sharing with the Patriots. Uh, when do you think, or when or if uh, it happens, when do you think the Revs will move to a new stadium? Well, first off, to be clear, we share a stadium with the six-time Super Bowl champion, New oh, England Patriots. yes, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Just had to get that in there, just to be clear. We don't have an MLS Cup, but we got to make sure everyone remembers our Super Bowls. Uh, no, when will the Revs move into a new stadium? It's it's really hard to know. The Crafts are very adamant about moving, building a stadium in Boston, in downtown Boston, and in the metro area. And it's really hard because land in Boston is a bit of a rarity and it's getting mm -hmm. more and more rare. Um, it doesn't seem like politicians are willing to give him any public financing, which is usually a thing that helps these stadiums kind of come about. Kraft kind of has to pay with private financing and out of his own pocket. And that doesn't seem like something he really wants to do that much. So they're kind of looking for a needle in the haystack in a perfect scenario. Um, there is a rumor right now that north of the city, uh, just north of the city, I should say, there is a casino uh, that has some land around it. And there have been some rumors about creating a sports event space, whatever that means. A lot of people speculate that that might be a soccer stadium, um, that there is some sort of coordination and partnership with the casino that they are going to uh, put a soccer stadium there. Um, I am not so optimistic about that one. Um, I think there's some hurdles with that one. So I, I don't think that that is the, you know, news that, that is going to break one of these days. I, I think we're still right. a few years out. Uh, but, you know, I've been following this team for a decade and I've been saying we're a few years out from a stadium for 10 years now. So um, who knows? I, I'm not sure. I, I think it could get to a point where Robert Kraft eventually says, you know what, we'll just build a stadium outside of Boston or a little bit down the road from Boston, kind of like Philadelphia and Chester. Uh, yes. something of that effect. And I don't think that would be very well received, but um, I, I don't know if we'll, I'm very pessimistic about the chances of a soccer stadium in downtown Boston. Yeah. But just how much would a downtown stadium or even like, you know, obviously getting a stadium in, especially the Northeast, like in the downtown area is a hard ask, but even if it's just near Boston, a little bit closer to where a lot of the fans are, how much would that help the revolution standing with the Boston media, with the, the casual fans, the people who might not be super interested in soccer, but if they see a new stadium, they might go to like, how much would that elevate the revolutions compared to where they are now? Yeah, I think it would definitely get some eyeballs on them and it would get people interested and people would go check out the revs. Um, you talk about the casual fan, but I think there's also a big segment of soccer fans that the revolution right. are missing out on. If you look at ratings for any international competition or any United States men's or women's game, and you look at the top 10 metros or top 15 metros or whatever, Boston's usually there. Um, and there there's a pretty good fan base of soccer fans in Boston. Um, I think there's a, a, an oddly big contingency of Liverpool fans too, because of the John Henry connection. Uh, he owns the Red Sox and Liverpool. So I think there are a lot of fans of European soccer that don't want to hop on the train and go down to Foxborough or make the 40 minute drive down to Southern mass to, to Gillette stadium to see the team. So mm -hmm. I, I think that it would make more of an impact of capturing 
that fan base that in a weird way, don't feel like they have a team because that team is not down the road from them or accessible by public transportation. Um, But it'll be interesting too, because I think the revolution have built this fan base uh, in Rhode Island and Southern Massachusetts. And Rhode Island is also a big soccer market as well. Providence Mm -hmm. is usually have some high ratings for international soccer too. Um, I I think there'd be some fans that would stop going to games if you move it up to Boston. So I think there's a little bit of pros and cons. I think the pros would outweigh the cons, um, but uh, yeah, it, it certainly would get them more attention uh, than is currently there in terms of the sports uh, media landscape. Yeah. Well, obviously, like like you said, getting a stadium is hard. It's going to be a couple years out at minimum if they want to build a stadium near Boston. So in your eyes, like what can the Revs do to become a little bit more relevant in their current market? A championship would be great. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, a lot of it is just winning. Um, And a lot of fans actually were optimistic that this would be the year uh, that the revs attention kind of explodes because coming into the season, the Red Sox were supposed to be horrible. The Patriots are, you know, just came off a seven, nine season. Um, You know, the Celtics and the Bruins kind of fizzled out. And so I think a Mm -hmm. lot of people were kind of expecting like, this will be the team that wins the championship this year. And then the Red Sox have surprised everyone and have taken first place. Um, I just think it's a matter of the revolution winning and playing exciting soccer and scoring goals. Um, And so I, I think it's just a matter of putting a winning product on the field. I think that draws people. And another thing too, that I think people will pay attention or another selling point, Uh, And I know this just because I know some fans who aren't soccer fans. When I tell them that the revolution have a United States, you know, national Mm -hmm. team goalkeeper. Oh, really? You know, I I think that there's a United States connection because I think a lot more casual fans pay attention to the United States national team. So I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Turner goes out and has a great gold cup that some of these big soccer fans in Boston, when they learn that he's playing half an hour away in Foxborough, they're going to start coming out to games. So um, I, I think, there's some big marketing points with Matt Turner and the national team. And I think just the fact that they're winning overall that uh, I think we're going to see some interest uh, really improve over the next year. Yeah. Well, it looks like things are looking up for the revolution in terms of building that off the field performance. The last question I have, and I save this for the end because Jack and I like to talk about kits. We like to talk about crests. We like to talk about design, even though, Neither of us are even close to being artistically gifted, but the revolution, I don't know if it's, is it officially announced or is it still just a, a rumor that is yet to be announced? It is a rumor that was not denied. Okay. Okay. Well, a rumor that is not denied is the crest that new England revolution are probably are going to a uh, shift to designed by Charmy Shaw of the design firm Jones, Knowles and Ritchie, which fun fact also designed the new Burger King and Dunkin Donuts logo. They came out with a new England revolution crest. That is uh, a little bit different from the, the crayon flag that we are used to. So if listeners are listening to this, go check it out. Cause I, I'm not going to try to like really describe it. It's a, it's an R with a, with a, a red insignia uh, around it with a, a red uh, cross through it. Uh, Greg, what do you think of this crest? Is it, is it a good crest? Do you think it's an improvement? Just what do you make of it in general? Well, it's mixed emotions. Um, yeah. And I, you know, compared to some of the rebrands MLS has had in recent years, it's not so bad. 
So that's kind of my first impression. There are some things I don't like about it. There are some things I do like about it. Um, but one thing that I am encouraged about uh, is the fact that if we do go through a rebrand, it seems like we are keeping the name New England Revolution. I would have been very discouraged if we changed to Boston FC or New England FC or New England United or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I see teams like Montreal change their name and I kind of shake my head. So I think first and foremost, in terms of a rebrand, I wanted to see the name New England Revolution kept. So um, I, I, with that being said, though, I'm so, so on this logo. I think you kind of explained it pretty well. It kind of looks like a no parking sign, but with an R yeah. in it, like a fancy no parking sign. So I don't know if it's in its final form, um, but it certainly could be a lot worse compared to, I wasn't a fan of Columbus's. I know Chicago oh, yeah. is already getting rid of their most recent rebrand. Um, so I, I kind of saw this and uh, the other thing too, is a lot of people are attached to the crayon logo and the original logo. Cause it kind of reminds them of nostalgia and MLS 1.0 uh, and, and the glory days of the new England revolution. Uh, and so any rebrand I think is going to be met with some negative uh, feelings from the fan base. But I think once you get past that and you just kind of look at this on the whole uh, it, it's kind of an accepting and saying, okay, this is fine. Yeah. I mean, from what I've seen from new England revolution fans, they have, appreciated the fact that it kind of embraces new england's history it's kind of have it kind of has like a uh an old colonial feel to it it kind of has uh some nods to not just new england's history but the revolution's history with the 1996 on the crest so that's a nice nod to their history but in your mind if it really came down to it and you were the the man in the the meeting room deciding whether or not to do this rebrand do you go with the crayon flag or you go with this uh, new era, the revolution? Yeah, that's a tough one too. And, and well, I'll get to my, my next thought in a second, but for me, I would keep everything as it is. I, I think everything's fine. I'm a, if it isn't broke, don't fix it sure. uh, type of person. And, and I think a lot of people do kind of connect with the crayon flag. Um, but the other domino here is that it was said in years past that when the revolution got a stadium, they would rebrand. Um, and, and that was the story for a long, long time. And then I think in 2019, there was a story in the athletic and they kind of said, well, not necessarily, they're not necessarily connected. Um, and so the rumor here, I know I kind of dismissed any chances of us getting a stadium, but there are people wondering if there is a connection here with the rebranding and a new stadium. And I think if there is going to be a new stadium or if there's going to be an announcement of a stadium coming in the near future, um, I, I'm more accepting to a rebrand and a new crest as kind of a new era uh, of the New England Revolution. Um, and I could certainly see that a little bit more, but I'm doubtful. As I said earlier, I'm, I'm pretty doubtful that we're going to get a new stadium. And I think this is just a matter of it's been 25 years um, and it's kind of time to, uh, you know, join, uh, join the rest of MLS and kind of make everything more modern uh, for our soccer team. Nice. Nice. Well, Thank you for joining us here on the final third podcast. That's all the questions I have. I thoroughly enjoyed talking about the new England revolution, what they're doing on and off the field. If they can win MLS cup, Greg, thank you for joining us. Do you have anything to say to our listeners, any plugs? I'm sure you'd love to uh, give the, the Twitter and whatever links to revolution recap. Yeah, I was going to say I had a lot of fun here. Thank you so much for having me. I know when whenever Jack is going to listen to this, he's going to say, man, I really missed out. This was a really great conversation. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he know, definitely jokes, will. Jokes on him. Uh, no, you can follow us at Revolution Recap on Twitter. Uh, we're over there all the time. We're pretty active during games. So 
uh, at Revolution Recap. We also have an Instagram and Facebook page. You'll find us Revolution Recap. Uh, and if you want to listen to our podcast, we are on iTunes and all platforms. Uh, just search Revolution Recap. You will find us. Uh, and then also, yeah, uh, we, we recently got a sponsor, uh, Galaco Kits. They sell jerseys, kits, uh, merchandise, um, any team, any country, they have it. Uh, they're based out of Miami. Uh, they have kits of teams and countries from uh, or national teams from over 80 countries. So go check out their website. It's galacokits.com. Uh, and if you find something you like, use promo code REVSRECAP, R-E-V-S-R-E-C-A-P, REVSRECAP, uh, and you get 15% off your order. All right, cool. Thank you for that. And hopefully they sponsor us in the future too. <laughs> I'll put in a good word. Yeah. Well, Greg, again, thank you for coming. It was great to have you. Hopefully we have you on again when New England Revolution inevitably win MLS Cup this year. I was going to say, uh, I expect an invitation back on the show. We have uh, the MLS Cup preview, uh, and I'm talking about the Supporter Shield winning New England Revolution. <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you, Greg, for joining us today. It's always nice to have a guest, especially one that's very familiar with one specific topic or specific team. So it's great to have him. Uh, all of the Revolution Recaps' links, Twitter, and uh, podcast information is going to be down in the show notes below. So go and check them out. Go follow them on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter as well and Instagram at Final Third Show. Start a conversation with us. And leave a rating, a review, and follow us on whatever podcasting platform you use. Obviously, if you're listening to the show now, you probably like the show. So go ahead and do that. It means so much to us that people do that. And yeah, uh, Jack's going to be here next week or yeah, next week. So really excited to have him back in the studio, hopefully in person. So yeah, we'll see you guys next Monday with Jack, hopefully for our news and prediction episode and we'll see you guys same time same place the deep dive episode see ya